Welcome back to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Dr. Dan DeWitt is our guest today. As the director of the Center for Biblical Apologetics and Public Christianity, he has a heart for students and a passion for equipping them with a biblical worldview. Now here is Dr. Dan DeWitt's conversation with Mark Weinstein. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Dr. Dan DeWitt, director of the Center for Biblical Apologetics and Public Christianity at Cedarville University. In addition to this role, Dr. DeWitt is also a best-selling author, and he's a person who enjoys building into the lives of college students. We will, we will talk about these topics and much more today on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. DeWitt. Thanks so much, Mark. Good to be with you. Great to have you. I've been looking forward to this conversation for, for weeks. Uh, for many of our viewers today, the name Dr. Dan DeWitt may not resonate like it should. To break the ice and let people learn more about who you are, uh, Dan, both personally and professionally, tell us when you came to Cedarville. So I'm in my fourth year at Cedarville, and so I came a little over three years ago. And as I mentioned in the introduction, you have a very long title. <laughs> yes. It's hard to even say it, let alone know what it means. So explain what the purpose of the center is. Yeah. When I first came here, I started the Center for Biblical Apologetics and public Christianity, which I know is a mouthful. But what we were trying to do is say we're not just going to talk about kind of philosophical arguments for the existence of God and defend Christianity against contemporary critics, but also speak to a number of issues that may affect Christians in terms of leading a um, a public life, um, thinking about the headlines. So we wanted it to be broader than just apologetics. And so the, the purpose of the center is to equip our student body and to serve as a resource for our constituency, alums, parents, faculty, staff, and then also hopefully to have a winsome witness within our own community. So we do that through having a weekly forum. We have a monthly seminar in the evening, and once a year we have an annual conference. From from my perspective in public relations, I see you uh, using um, biblical truth into in current events. Is that also a part of what you're doing in the center? Yeah, and that's what we while we had the part of the title is public Christianity because okay. we wanted to speak into current issues, whether or not people immediately think, oh, that's an apologetic topic, to say that we're speaking to things they might read about in the headlines or see in the evening news. Okay. So as I think of you, I think of um, coffee. Yes. Because <laughs> you have some events that have the coffee theme. So one of them is mere caffeination. Is that part of uh, an outgrowth of the center? And, and what is the purpose of mere caffeination? So, of course, it's a play on the title of C.S. Lewis's um, influential book, Mere Christianity. Correct. And um, that is a weekly forum for students. It's open for anyone. And so we have different faces there every week, some consistent students. But it's, we meet from 8 to 8.45 in our campus coffee shop. We talk about recent headline events from a biblical worldview. And um, then we also do a time of Q&A. And um, I often will bring an excerpt from a Christian author like Chester Tenor Lewis that I might read and we'll discuss. But it's pretty casual, informal, and it's a great place for students to get to know one another better for us to pray together and to think about how we could be effective in our Christian witness. How long have you been doing that? For two and a half years. Is that near uh, Renova or where is that held? So usually people buy their coffee in Renova and then we meet in the Stingers Cafe. Hmm. So since we're meeting before, I think they open at nine. So we're in there before they open for uh, start serving breakfast. What's a 
typical size of people, students who come in terms of how many come? I would say on average 10 or 12, but we've had as many as 30. We've had as few as five. And every week there's someone new. And so we tell students they don't have to commit to come every week. You know, our students are so busy with their curricular um, commitments. I let students know they could show up one time and they don't have to feel obligated to ever come back. Um, just come when it works with their schedule. If they have a big question that's weighing on their mind, I'm certainly happy to meet with them any other time. Sure. But that's just a set time of the week they know I'll be there and they could show up. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Is there a recent Mere Caffeination event that comes to mind that had a really compelling conversation about something going on in our world? Yeah, we recently had a Mere Caffeination where we, it was right after Kanye West published his album, Jesus is King, and we had a lengthy conversation about how Christians should think about um, when a celebrity comes to faith in Christ. Should we be skeptical on the one hand, or how optimistic should we be on the other hand? What's a balanced biblical perspective of sure. somebody like Kanye coming to faith? Yeah, and and how did the students respond to that conversation? I think they were mostly positive. You know, a lot of what I read online, people were being really skeptical. You know, let's just wait and see if he's really a Christian. And I think students were much more optimistic and wanted to believe the best. And in the same way that any, if any person came up to us and said, you know, I had a life-transforming encounter with Jesus, and I'm a Christian now. I think students were just much more ready to take his word for it. And, of course, time will tell if it bears fruit or not. But they were sure. just much more, I think, um, a much more charitable assessment of Kanye's testimony. Yeah, I'm studying uh, in BSF Bible Study Fellowship mm -hmm. just last night Paul's first missionary journey. Mm -hmm. So that, that takes me back to Saul's conversion. Like, there had to be great skepticism when he you know, said that, you know, he's, a, he's following Jesus and he's, he's saved, um, had to be very similar with Kanye. Yeah. Yeah. And the difference being, you know, if, if, if Paul wasn't being honest, he probably would kill them. Correct. <laughs> so, and, but you're absolutely right. How, how we are by associating with this person who claims to be a Christian, not only is their reputation on the line in terms of the authenticity of that event, but our affiliation with them also means that our names on the line a bit as well, which is a great picture of Christian community, that we're in this Correct. together for good or for bad. Correct. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. So before you joined the faculty, you held positions as lead pastor of the campus church that met at the, at the, at the University of Louisville, mm -hmm. and you also were dean of the undergraduate college at Southern Seminary. How did these positions uniquely prepare you for your ministry here at Cedarville mm -hmm. University? Well, first I'll speak to the campus ministry at the University of Louisville. That really exposed me to a liberal arts setting with a very diverse student body. So we met in a building called the Red Barn, the building that we, which was neither red nor a barn, but that's what they called it. And we shared the building with the LGBTQ um, office. Okay. And so really interesting kind of format on Sunday evenings, we would do worship and they would often be having events or have students coming and going from their office. And that really, I think, helped me think about how do we talk about deep theological truths in ways that are accessible and also ways that are not unnecessarily offensive. So the gospel's offensive, but how can we make sure that we're not being offensive beyond what needs to be offensive, which is indeed the gospel. So I think that that has shaped the way I want to talk about Christianity in the marketplace of ideas. 
when it relates to leadership at Southern Seminary, I'm so thankful for my time there. My my first experiences as a professor teaching students um, was really at Southern Seminary, and I will forever be grateful for the education I got there as a student and then all the leadership opportunities and teaching opportunities I had there. And I want to go down that path of, of leadership because um... – when did you first realize you were called to Christian ministry, whether on a college campus or in a church setting? So I would, became a Christian not far from the campus of Cedarville University. Really? Yeah. And I think it's in Miamisburg, technically, at a camp called Camp Chautauqua, which we all called as students Camp Chewbacca. Chewbacca. Uh, so <laughs> at the age of 15, God opened my eyes to the gospel. I'd heard it before, but I was rebelling against the influences of Christianity and the influence of, of my parents. And so at 15, I became a Christian. It radically changed my life. And a couple of years later, I was planning on going to Eastern Illinois University, going into graphic design. I had a scholarship for their summer program which okay. for high school students, which is kind of an entryway into other scholarship opportunities for college. And went to art camp, and then right after art camp, went to youth camp back at Camp Chautauqua here in Ohio. And there I really felt a distinct call not to go to a secular college, not that that's bad, um, but for me, I felt the call to go and study the Bible and prepare to be a minister. I didn't know exactly what that meant. I think in the time, I had this really simple view of, if you're going to serve the Lord in ministry, I'm now going to turn my back on all my artistic and creative kind of endeavors. That'll be part of the past. What's a part of the future is just church and mm -hmm. you know that kind of stuff. And as I grew and matured, God showed me that He doesn't waste any of our passions no. or gifts. So, But it was at the age of 17 that I first felt that call to serve in some way. I didn't know what that would look like. Right. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk uh, later in the podcast about some of that creative and artsy uh, skills that you have. And it is great to see the body use all the skills that the Lord has given us, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But back to leadership, you've had the, you've had the opportunity to learn under some great leaders. Uh, Dr. Al Moore comes to mind. Now at Cedarville, you're with Dr. Thomas White. Uh, both those are um, theological leaders of the day. Uh, starting with Dr. Moore, though, how was he able to shape you personally? He's had a profound impact on my life, and I just cannot say enough how thankful I am. He he's, would be on a short list of people if things went terribly bad, um, something major happened in my life. He's on a short list of people I would call within um, within minutes of whatever th th that could be. So really thankful for him. Time Magazine once called him the leading intellect among evangelicals in America and have the opportunity to be in close proximity and working closely with someone with that kind of gift set, the Lord's uniquely blessed him. And so I often think when I'm looking at a situation, how would Dr. Moeller assess the situation? And what's what makes that easy is the fact that he has a daily podcast. Right. So I'll often just turn on the briefing, his podcast, and find out exactly how he is, you know, his appraisal of the situation. Right. But he helped me think through to to process quickly, but speak slowly in terms of how Christians should think about it. So to be mm. thinking all the time and be careful and have a very um, clear and concise and hopefully compelling response to whatever the culture is saying about Christian values or Christianity itself. Yeah. How have you benefited from Dr. White's leadership? Dr. White continues to just really 
impressed me with the way the Lord has uniquely gifted him to be a visionary leader, to look out at the horizon and see where the institution needs to go. The depth of detail of you know his sense of stewardship over the organization, and he really is gifted as an organizational leader, uniquely gifted in a way that uh, puts him in a different category from leaders I've been with in the past, where he really knows what's going on at Cedarville in a rather impressive way. Uh, but what most impresses me about Dr. White is the fact that he is first and foremost a pastor. A friend of mine remarked about Cedarville University and Dr. White's leadership that Dr. White is really a pastor who happens to be a president of a university. And I think that's really true. And that sets Cedarville um, apart from other Christian organizations where our top leader is so committed to the spiritual well-being and growth of our university. And that's one of the biggest things I've learned from him. How have you been able to transfer key lessons and insight from Dr. Moeller and Dr. White to your students? I think that balance between one being try, attempting to be a thought leader to help us think about and be a step ahead of um, perhaps where we would be if we weren't being intentional, but to try and get ahead of where the culture might be headed and think about that with the gospel. But on the other hand, not to be too far ahead of the people pastorally, to, to walk slowly through the hallways, to walk slowly through um, the buildings and notice the faces and the people and see how we might serve them. And I've learned both of those things from Dr. Moeller and Dr. White. Does any example come to mind where you've been able to actually implement that with, with students, whether in class or on a sidewalk? or? Yeah, I think recently I had a student share with me that they were struggling with a project and there's one level as a faculty member, as a professor, I could just say, well, these are the, this is the deadline, this is my policy for um, late work. Um, but when you kind of catch the, uh, the tone of their voice, their expression when they say it, to realize there's something deeper going on here, and to say, hey, let's, let's talk about what's going on in your life. And so that would be a very recent okay. example of, you know, this isn't time to be a professor. This is time to be a pastor. Okay. And the professor stuff we could deal with later, um, but this is actually more important in the moment. Yeah. I wasn't going to ask this uh, until it just came to my mind is, what's your impression of students at Cedarville University as a whole? Yeah, I'm extremely impressed with them, and I know I, I would be expected to say something like that, but we have top-rate students, and I, I got an email or a thank-you note from a student in another state who had my class a couple of years ago, early on when I first got here, and she's at a military base now serving the Lord, praying to have a unique opportunity to share the gospel in a place where she doesn't know many Christians, and that is so common of Cedarville students. Really? So I'm just really impressed by the caliber of our students and their desire to serve the Lord with their vocation is, I, I think, really impressive. If anybody were to visit our campus and just see it, and we see this all the time, when people visit our campus, they're amazed by what the Lord's doing here. Yeah. We're, did, that caught, did that catch you by surprise, or did you expect Cedarville students to be like that when you first came four years ago? You know, I think I had an expectation that's similar to what I've experienced. I had high expectations. Since I've been here, I've spoken at a number of other Christian universities, and what I've experienced is it's not always the case. My expectation for Cedarville held true, but as I've spoken at other universities, I've realized there is something unique here, 
And um, so I've been impressed with students, but I have pretty high expectations. When I speak at other at other Christian universities, sometimes I'm just reminded of what a special place Cedarville is. It really is. Thanks for sharing. So earlier in the podcast, we talked about the importance of using our all our skills, all our abilities that the Lord has given us, whether that's creative or analytic or whatever, for His glory. Uh, our listeners need to know that you are a gifted writer. In fact, you're a best-selling author, according to the Gospel Coalition and Christianity Today. And your most recent books are uh, Sunny Side Up, The Friend Who Forgives, and Why God. Why God and, and The Friend Who Forgives are both children's books. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other books have you written? So I've written a few apologetic titles that preceded the books you just mentioned. So my first book was called Jesus or Nothing, and it was published with Crossway. And my second book was um, Christ or Chaos, so it was a follow-up to the first book. When I first got to Cedarville, I published another title that was kind of in the middle of of clearly apologetics and devotional Christian living, and it was called Life in the Wild, Mm -hmm. Fighting for Faith in a Fallen World. And it was looking at Genesis and asking the question, what should we expect the world to look like if the Bible's true? And of course, I believe it is true, and I believe that what we find in Genesis is exactly the kind of thing we should expect based on Genesis chapter 3. So of all the books you've written... Do you have a favorite? Probably my first book would be my favorite. And so Dr. Russell Moore, who is a mentor of mine, he was the provost at Southern when I first became dean. I reported to him. He wrote the foreword to it. And then a good friend of mine who's a Christian um, hip-hop artist, Flame, he recorded an album based on the book. So the book was Jesus or Nothing. Then there was a, a, a... Christian rap album called Jesus or Nothing, and we did a little tour together where he would rap and I would speak, and we would do a Q&A based on the book. So that was such a fun project. Yeah, that sounds like a great time. Yeah. Wow. How did you get into writing books? I was needed to, for a um, doctoral seminar, work on a writing project related to some facet of our research. So it wasn't publishing our dissertation. It was something extra. And I decided to write on the the thesis that I had really picked up from Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer mm-hmm. that ultimately you're faced with two worldviews. At, at bottom, there is Christian theism, that a God who's personal, who's revealed himself, and we can have meaning and purpose that is real, not just based in a subject, subjective experience, but is objective. You can only have that in a, the kind of worldview like Christianity, where God is there as Schaefer said, and is not silent. Or you live in a universe where you have to manufacture your own meaning, which can change from day to day and isn't lasting. So that thesis of Jesus or nothing is how I first developed. Um, that was I thought if I could write on that, that'd be a lot of fun. And it over time had other people give me some some tips on how to think about it, and you, you know, it's like any project. You start with a big idea, and you start narrowing it down. And so, I met with my mentor, Dr. Russell Moore, and said, "What do you think?" And I wrote a rough draft, and he wrote back to me, said, "You should, you should pitch it." <laughs> he sent me an article, and it is the title of the article is "What to Do with Your First Draft." And the point of the article was, you should throw it away and start over. And what's good will stick in your mind and make it into the next the next draft. And so that's what I did. And Dr. Russell Moore was so kind enough to write the foreword to it and to help me find a publisher for so it. So you actually threw away your first draft and started all over? I completely started over. How long was the writing process from very beginning to completion? 
The rough draft was probably took me six months and I knew it was rough. So I wasn't kind of wordsmithing and really trying to, you know, get the, the optimal sentences, you know, here and there, but just trying to get it all out. Some people compare that to intellectual vomit. You know, you just get it all on the page. Um, but from the starting of the rough draft until the publication of the book was probably two and a half years, maybe three wow. years. Quite a yeah. process. Are there any other books on the horizon for you? I'm working on another children's book for Lifeway, for Broadman and Holman, for B&H. And it's telling the story of the Bible through the motif of the war between light and darkness. So the, the title of the book is The Bright Light and the Super Scary Darkness. Okay. And when's, when will that come out? That will come out sometime in the fall of 2021. Okay. As I prepare to uh, wrap up today's podcast, I'm interested in learning um, one more thing about you. I know you recently spoke at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event in Western Illinois that encouraged Christian leaders to influence others for the gospel. As a self self-identified non-athlete, I think I, <laughs> I think I think I heard you say that. Yeah. Why did you accept speaking at that? opportunity at that FCA event. Well, I love Fellowship of Christian Athletes and I'm not and, and I'm not an athlete. You know, my dad's 6'2", my brother's 6'2", and my mom's a short Italian woman with a big nose and you could tell who I take after. <laughs> and so, um, my mom's going to send me hate mail now that I've said that. She's a very attractive young lady. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> She's a beautiful woman, that's for sure. But I take after my mom. So, um, What I love about Fellowship of Christian Athletes, one, is they're really just committed to sharing the gospel with everybody. So I've helped start FCAs at a number of middle schools throughout my time in local church ministry. We started four or five in Louisville, Kentucky, and it was always an easy avenue to get into a school and share the gospel because people are familiar with the organization. Right. They have built a great testimony for themselves. So I just wanted to speak at that event because I love FCA. The director for that particular chapter of FCA is a friend of mine. Okay. So I was thrilled to partner with him. So obviously, we're glad you're there because you you have a lot to say. You represent Cedarville University well. Uh, speaking of that, at that event was the former manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, Mike mm-hmm. Matheny, who uh, is originally from Columbus, went to college at the University of Michigan. And Miss America 2013, Erica Harold. What was it like to be with those individuals at that event? Yeah, I, th- I sent a copy of the promotional poster to one of my friends and said, "Who doesn't belong here?" And uh, it clearly meant me. It was it was just a lot of fun I, I, to be hear from people who have that kind of platform. You know, Erica has is involved in politics in Chicago. She travels around the world. She speaks in prisons all over the place. She has a, a very well-established prison ministry. She's spoken in prisons where she's the first female speaker to be in that prison. So it was great. I, I, I was so impressed by Mike Matheny, his love for Jesus, and Erica Harold, her articulation of the gospel and her Christian commitments. It was a lot of fun. So it was a lot of fun. But what's a takeaway from that event because of your interacting with Mike and Erica? You know, it for me, it just makes me love what I do here at Cedarville all the more. You know, to have theology classes that I teach on a regular basis, Theology One, which is a part of the Bible minor at Cedarville. So every student here gets the Bible minor, those five classes in the Bible. And the, the one particular class I teach, I'll often have classes of 80 students who 
None of them are training for ministry. They're all going into various disciplines of a number of athletes, a number of people who are going into pharmacy and nursing. Sure. And to see people who've taken their platform that, you know, Mike Matheny and Erica, they didn't go to Bible college, they didn't go to seminary, but look at how the Lord's using them. Right. So it just makes me love what I'm doing with Cedarville yeah. all the more. I remember the time when I was living in St. Louis. Mike wasn't the manager uh, of the Cardinals yet, but he had he had invested dearly in the in the city, and uh, he built a um, a baseball field for uh, kids who with disabilities, and he just had a heart for the people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad you got the opportunity yeah. to see that. Um, time has has quickly gone, so I have time for one more question, yeah. and it's a question I ask at every podcast. Uh, what is your greatest memory? or most memorable event from your time of working at Cedarville University? Wow. Um, <laughs> it's clearly this moment now. We are living in... Um, I thought you'd say it. <laughs> I thought you'd see it my way. Now, I think that the most memorable isolated event, every semester I'll have one student, perhaps a, a couple more, but usually one student who will come to me and say, I, I make my students write three papers in, in my class, why I believe in God, why I believe in the Bible, and what does it mean to be human. And I always have at least one student come to me or say in their paper, I've never thought about this question before, and now I really feel equipped to give an answer for this. And for me, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So for people who want to follow Dan DeWitt, uh, maybe you write a blog, Theolati blog. Mm-hmm. Um, how can people find you and, and stay in contact with you? Yeah, so at the blog, theolatte.com. It's Theo like theology, latte like Starbucks. You like uh, coffee. I do like coffee. If I ever stopped drinking coffee, I would have to completely rebrand um, <laughs> everything. So theolatte.com. And I'm also active on Twitter and um, simply at Dan DeWitt. Okay. Twitter slash at Dan uh, Dan, thanks for spending uh, this 30 minutes with us. Uh, I appreciate your friendship, your, your work at Cedarville University, how you're investing in the lives of students and colleagues. It's uh, great to see, and it's great to, again, have you on the podcast. Thanks, thanks for so joining me. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.